Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What a special episode we have for you guys here today. Jeff and I bring on another one of our family members and an incredibly passionate youth hockey coach and our cousin, Cody Barra. Cody grew up in the greatest city of all, Chicago, and played double-A hockey through uh, his younger years. He ended up playing Tier 3 junior hockey in Rochester, Minnesota, before playing Division One club hockey for powerhouse Lindenwood University. Uh, he now coaches youth hockey at the real young levels in the St. Louis area, and uh, we're bringing it to you today, a little piece of some heated youth hockey conversations over the Scott family dinner table at all of our holiday parties. Uh, So Jeff and I are super pumped for this. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to get right into it. Um, So before we do get to you, Cody, uh, let's introduce, as we all know, grandma and grandpa's favorite grandchild and the talent of this podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today, man? Well, first of all, there could be no bigger tire pump than grandma and grandpa's favorite grandchild. So grandma, grandpa, grandma, well, it's absolutely 100% true, but grandma, <laughs> grandpa just want to say, love you. And I'm the only one to talk about you on the podcast first. I love you guys with all my heart. Can't wait to see you. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That, I'm having a great day. Tofu, you just made it even better. Cody, dude, like, am I not wrong in saying that Jeff is by far the favorite grandchild? Well, no, I'm I'm also one of the oldest uh, of my family, so I'm gonna go ahead and say I I think I am the <laughs> the favorite of Grandma, but wow. Jeff is uh, the pretty Jeff's the prettiest for sure. <laughs> Cody, 100%. you're you're totally the favorite grandchild, and it smells like fart. Um, <laughs> you're the you're the favorite grandchild on opposite day. <laughs> <laughs> also, I do have to hey, say boys, too. Honestly, or go ahead, Cody. Go ahead. I want to. I want to say uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on, honestly. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Been listening since day one. I think most of our family has. Um, and a quick thing for the listeners, I've been looking up to you guys for a long time, right? Like my entire life. I didn't have an older brother. You guys were the closest things. And uh, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of the podcast. Is it possible to look up to me, even though you're seven years younger than me and you're probably taller than me at like five years old? <laughs> oh, literally, no. No. Literally, no. Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. Oh, also, <laughs> I do have to say, um, I, this would be something that the listeners would very, very much enjoy. So Jeff actually, ten, uh, like right when we were supposed to go on, uh, he told us he had a 10-minute delay because he had to go walk his dog. And uh, But I do have to say that 10 minutes before that, there was a shirtless Instagram post. So I'm not sure if the delay was actually because of the dog walk or if it was because of the, the shirtless Instagram flipping tires post. So Jeff, I, I think you should come clean here to Cody and I, your cousins, we're family, we're blood. Like what, what was it, man? Are we, are we telling the truth? Are we in the trust tree? We're in the trust the tree circle? with the nest. Yes. With the, nest? the only way to be brother. Only way to be. Okay. First of all, I took that video like 45 minutes ago and I made the post as I was walking my dog. So boom roasted lawyered. 
<laughs> I think you may have boom self roasted there, buddy. But I think so right. too. No I, worries. I think so too. <laughs> Well, Cody, let's get right into it, man, because, um, you know, we have a ton of youth hockey coaches that listen to this podcast and, uh, you are, you know, as far as Jeff and I are concerned, one of the most passionate youth hockey guys that we know, um, specifically at the younger levels. Um, and we don't get a lot of talk, um, at the might squirt levels, which is where your kind of bread and butter is. And, uh, you know, you had a unique path where you, you played double A hockey, you played high school hockey growing up, you played tier three, uh, you played division one club. Uh, most of the people that we've had on to talk hockey have been, you know, like we had freaking Martin St. Louis on, on the podcast last time. Um, not a big deal. Though. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's not bad, but you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this, um, that haven't played pro hockey or division one college hockey, but are still really passionate about the game and, and, uh, really do really well by the people that they coach and, and, uh, impact on a daily basis at the youth hockey rink. So if you can just talk to us a little bit about your journey, how you became passionate about the game and how you use that to, to kind of fuel your fire to, to do so well by the kids that you coach. Uh, I appreciate the intro. Uh, first of all, and I will say, honestly, right off the bat, the passion, as you mentioned, like where I gained that, um, was through your dad, right? Our uncle Bob, I think he kind of started the entire thing for our entire family. And then from then on, uh, as I remember it, because I'm, you know, one of the younger ones or younger than you guys, I remember just always it being hockey and you guys playing USHL, you know, Chicago steel, uh, Omaha Lancers, not a big deal, both of you guys. I got to watch you guys grow up and uh, do all that stuff. And then the way you interacted with your teammates and things like that really, really kind of uh, grew my passion for the game right off the bat. Um, So I was immersed in it from, honestly, my first memories in general. I think some of my first memories were um, watching Joe Sackick play against Stevie Y, uh, Colorado Avalanche playing against the uh, Detroit Red Wings. I think we were in St. Louis, Missouri, I believe Um, just watching Stanley cup games and things like that and getting to talk to you guys and your teammates uh, really, really kind of grew my passion. But from there on, right. Like I, I did take kind of a unique path and I didn't know it at the time how unique it was, but looking back on it, I kind of really uh, enjoy where I went, right. You guys were, um, and, and knew a bunch of, bunch of players that went, you know, uh, top tier all the way from squirt midget, uh, junior hockey all the way up through. And I respected that for sure. I, I kind of wanted to do that. Uh, but I took a little bit of a different path. I went, as you said, double A, I never played triple A quick, quick thing, by the way, the boys might not know, uh, my old man cut me twice from AAA hockey teams, the 92 oh team. Talk about integrity. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uncle, oh, yeah, boy. Uncle oh, Dave, yeah. hello. Savage. Oh, yeah. And, hey, but by, by the way, I will say he does stand by it to this day. I, and I agree, I was not good enough to make those teams. I was for sure not good enough to make those teams. Yeah, but two times my, uh, my old man cut me from uh, Team Illinois, 92s. Either way, uh, it was better for me in the long run. I got to go down, be a, a bit of a bigger fish in a smaller pond, if you will. Uh, played Central States uh, for Glenview, Sylvain Turcotte, my mentor. I wouldn't 
be able to get on this podcast and not mention him. Absolute beauty legend in Chicago. Uh, and then I went and actually played, like you said, high school kind of took some time off. Um, thought I didn't want to play hockey for a little bit. Why? Why? What happened? Well, you know, things get a little intense as you guys know. I think there were some other things going on in life, but, uh, I took some time off to play just Illinois high school, which for the team I played for Buffalo Grove Wheeling Hersey was not very, uh, intense, if you will. And honestly, it was the best thing for my career. And the reason was because I gained so much confidence, um, playing there, right? Like kind of going down just a little bit low, uh, low intensity, um, kind of a low, not a low caliber, but a more fun, right? I got back to having fun with the game and that really, really, really helped me. Uh, and then I decided I kind of wanted to, you know, further my career and it ended up, um, going to, as you guys said, Rochester, but that was after I went to Atlanta, Steve Dubinsky helped me get to, uh, Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta Knights and the EJ South, which is league. You guys have no idea about, I'm sure. (laughs) Try me, dude. uh, Try me. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Hey man, it was the Met back in the day, right? Hold on. I want to, I want to actually stop you real quick because I I think this is very, like a very unbelievable talking point for the people that are listening. So you went down a level to gain confidence and to, to find your love and passion for the game. And I don't think enough people do that. You know, everybody is so enamored with the extra A kind of on the end of their level that they play at. And they feel like they need to, you know, be on the best team or play with the best players all the time. And even if they're not playing uh, or even if they are playing three shifts a game, it doesn't matter because they're on X team that has the triple A moniker. I just think that's such a unique perspective. The fact that you went away from that and you became a better hockey player for that. And I think more kids can actually benefit from that. And so I wanted to kind of ask you about that because I, I, I just think that's such a big thing, you know, it was huge Toph, Right. And like, I didn't know it at the time. Right. And obviously I was a little bit defeated and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do in terms of my, like my hockey career. Um, I just knew in terms of life, I wanted to kind of, uh, take a step back, if you will. And it kind of leads us into our other points. Hopefully we can get through my, my stuff before, but yeah, hit um, the fast forward button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on, right on, right on. But, but the term, but the term behind, I felt a little behind. Uh, so I, I decided to take that step back and it was huge. I think it's a big lesson for most youth parents right now is that the, uh, it doesn't need to be all like 100% intensity all the time. I took a step back and learned to love the game again, like loved it, enjoyed it, had a good time. I was, it was low caliber. Like it was not, it wasn't really exactly what everybody thinks of in terms of, um, getting to like college hockey, right? Like I, I kind of took a step back, took some years to grow the game in a different way. It wasn't necessarily my skill. I wasn't out there every day, you know, working skills or taking shots, shooting a hundred pucks, anything like that. Uh, I got to enjoy my teammates, enjoy the game, 
enjoy my coaches. And then I kind of honestly uh, regained that passion for the game uh, throughout those couple of years. And it really, really, really set my foundation uh, or almost like readjusted the foundation of my passion for the game. That's awesome. I mean, I've talked about on this podcast, I feel like one of the early ones, I trained a guy who <clears throat> played triple A, you know, like all growing up and then he got cut and played for central States, went down there, had an absolute banger of a year, played power play, penalty kill, first line, like probably didn't come off the ice, lit it up, comes back to triple A for midget major year and led the team in scoring by like 20 or 30 points and is now playing junior hockey. Like there there's, there's no straight line to whatever your final destination is, whatever your success, whatever, whatever's your like ultimate goal. And you have to remember that, like if you want it bad enough and you're always continually to get continuing to get better, like it doesn't matter. Like Tove said, how many A's are at the end of your end of your team name? Like it's okay if you don't make a team one year or you decide to do, you know, something different, non-traditional. Well, at the same time, too, well, like wanting it bad enough, you have to love it to want it bad enough. Like you can't have one without the other, right? So like like let's take Cody, for example. Like it sounds like, dude, you, like, you weren't necessarily loving the game. Like you wanted it. Like you were passionate about the game, but you weren't in love with the game. So it wasn't doing anything correct. for you. It didn't matter how hard you worked, right? But then when you went back and kind of discovered your passion and your love for it again, then all of a sudden – it was like, okay, I am willing to do whatever it takes, whatever that may be, to, to kind of do it. So it, it, you can't really have the wanting it bad enough without the loving it bad enough, too, I feel like. 100%. I think I, in that time, I reinvented my love for the game, right? Like, I, I, everybody thinks when you get started at those might squirt uh, peewee levels, there's now more so, I think, than ever – like a, like a pressure to be like, I want to go to the NHL. But once you realize at some point along the way, you realize, Hey, I'm like, that might not be realistic. And once that hit me, at least in my personal experience, I was like, I might as well give up. Right. But I didn't, I kept playing. And then once I took that step back and could kind of reevaluate my game or the game in general, I realized, Hey, this is like, is my passion. It's the best game in the world. You guys say that every day on the podcast and it 100% is the truth um, for a lot of reasons. But once I reinvented my passion for the game, uh, it, it was a vessel kind of for me, right? Like it got me to college. I got money off. Uh, I, you know, kind of helped my parents out in that sense and uh, made connections along the way. And uh, that was honestly the biggest, uh, when I look back now, that was the best thing for me to do was kind of step back, uh, reinvent my passion and then, uh, take a different approach to the game other than just, you know, trying to achieve the highest level of success, which is, as we all know, a very small percentage of, uh, the hockey playing community, you know? Yeah. And let's, let's go off that. Like all the people we've had on this podcast so far for the most, not all, but for the most part, you know, played, played at the higher levels. Like how was playing in, um, ACHA club hockey. Like, what was your experience like? Cause I know I've, I've been out to Lindenwood here in St. Louis and I mean, they are, everything is first class. Like they're treated better than like some like high level junior teams. Like it's unbelievable how well you got treated there, but kind of what was your experience like playing at that level? Well, I'll tell you what I, I, uh, thank you for set teeing me up for that one. eh? but Rick Zombo and, uh, 
Mark Abney over there at Lindenwood were, uh, like you said, first class uh, coach, first class manager, um, first class organization all around. I mean, they got, we got, you know, free sticks, uh, all the equipment, ice time every day. And for a D1 club organization, uh, that was huge. I mean, uh, we played against Arizona State uh, in those formative years for them right before they became a D1 uh, NCAA accredited program, right? So, like, we were playing against top tier for sure. And, you know, club hockey is, uh, it has that tag, correct? Like club hockey. But when you play in it uh, for an organization like Lindenwood, I mean, you can go wherever you want, honestly. I mean, we've had so many players. You talk about Daniel Walcott, who played with me. We were freshmen together, right? I was a little bit older than him, right? Probably not as good because now he's playing uh, in the Tampa Bay organization for the Syracuse Crunch. Um, and we have guys like Brandon Rumble who are playing in the STHL, Cody Karpinski. Who are st- uh, everybody, a lot of guys that I played with at Lindenwood got an opportunity to further their career um, after the fact of playing for Lindenwood. And I think the attraction is the fact that it is so high class. And Jeff, as you know, they're building a new rink like right now, real time. They're about to have a brand new rink. And the, I think honestly, the, um, and we talk about, or we will hopefully talk about the reason why you want to end up playing college hockey is the community or hockey in general, as you guys have pointed out is, all about the community, right? The relationships you make and things like that. I've been reached out to by Mark Abney about being an alumni from Lindenwood and the things they're doing with the new rink that they're building are incredible. I mean, incredible. They are all about their alumni because they know who built or helped build uh, their organization, right? Oh, so you're saying you built the organization? Is that what you're saying? You put them on the No, 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 no. I built the penalty box. (laughs) <laughs> not, not, not anything else, boys. That's, hey, man, Chelios, Chelios, I think when they, uh, the old Chicago Stadium, I think he, like, bought the penalty box. And, no, uh, yeah, and, like, took it. Yeah, it's unreal, right? That's really yeah, cool. hundred percent. So, anyway, yeah. No, I really enjoyed my club hockey experience. And, honestly, that's what it should be about, right? Like, kid, uh, parents should be putting kids into sports in general, not only just hockey, for their kids to grow as a person. Uh, as you guys talk about a lot, but honestly, at this point in time to get to college, like that's, that's my opinion on things. Yeah. And, and dude, you played D one club and you got money off to go to school. So like Tope and I always say that success is a relative term, like for you to play double a all growing up and, and be cut from triple a by your dad, which is awesome. As far as integrity goes, like kudos to you, uncle Dave. And then you got money off of college. Like that's unbelievable. You helped your parents save and yourself save money on college through hockey. Like that is so cool. Like if you don't play D one or D three, like the world's not over, there's still opportunities out there guys. And you can still, as, as I brought up earlier, you can still achieve, you know, potentially some of your lifelong goals, by going, you, I, I feel like a lot of people or, or certain players that I may have played with in the past or people in general right now, like if you don't get that pick, right, you're not that AAA kid like I was not, or you're not that, uh, you know, NCAA D3 kid, or you're not that NCAA D1 kid, like your career is over. That's just not the facts, honestly. I mean, you look at guys like Dustin Penner, 
or uh, Daniel Walcott, guys that literally played in the ACHA club hockey, and they ended up getting a chance. And uh, Charlie Coyle played NA3, right? Like he played tier three junior hockey. I mean, these guys that if it, it, I think to your guys' point with this entire podcast is if you put in the work and you have the passion and it's all directed in the right way, you can, you can make it there if you'd like. But if not, at the same time, you're benefiting yourself as a human being no matter what, right? Well, yeah, and, and let's even take it a step further because, I mean, the Penners and the Walcotts, I mean, that's a point zero zero one percent of the that. But I think more importantly, For sure. you're developing that passion to pass along to the next generation of kids that are coming up, which is what you're doing right now as a youth hockey coach in St. Louis. So by the things that you learned and by growing that passion for the game, it allows you to want to stay in it and then pass down the lessons, hockey and life otherwise to kids that need it, you know, that are coming up in the game and you know, the game is uh, the culture of it is a little crazy right now. <laughs> I think we can all agree about that. So oh, like what, like ridiculous. in terms of, so yeah, oh, for sure. So in let's terms, dig into this. Yeah, well, we will, okay. we will. But but first, I think that the important question to ask Cody because, dude, like you, you are one of the most passionate people that I know um, that that loves the sport. So, what are some things that you learned, and what are maybe some lessons that you have that you teach to the kids that you're coaching right now, even at the youngest levels, that you think will help them to become, like we always talk about, better hockey players and, and better human beings. And I think that's the the exact point, right, Tope? Like it's. I think those two are very interconnected. Like being a better hockey player is being a better, if you're a better person, you're a better hockey player, at least in my experience, like some of the best people I know in the game of hockey, they end up being the best players. And so what I tell the kids, um, or, or at least try to instill in them, uh, we talk about at least for my Oh nine central States team down here in, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, the Creve Core Rockets, or St. Louis Rockets, if you will, is uh, team culture, right? I mean, life is about participation, right? You're, you're participating within a society or a family um, or some sort of culture, something like that. That is what I try to instill in our kids. And they're only 10, right? The biggest thing is you're 10 years old. Like, you need to relax, like. <laughs> Just enjoy being a 10-year-old, as you guys talk about all the time, right? Love that. Absolutely. So what, what are some fun things that you do with the kids? Like, how do you develop their passion for the game? So it's kind of it's tough, right? Today, um, you know, I had an assistant coach put it to me one way um, on a trip last year, right? We were on a, out at a tournament, and we were doing a team. We tried to do a you know, like a team function. You guys did like team things growing up. Um, back as I remember it, we, you know, we were playing chinny hockey in the hallways. And when, you know, maybe a hotel security guard or whatever staff member came up and found you playing shinny, you would run to the next floor, right? But that was how we bonded. Now, uh, the way he put it was they would, if there was one screen, uh, involved with all, you know, whatever, 12 to 16 of them, they would be all watching that one screen. Like you could have one little Apple watch and all 16 of them are going to be trying to watch that one Apple watch. The other <laughs> thing is, is if there was only one screen, 
right? Like the one kid who, whose screen it is, he would be the one to dictate what they were watching. Like back in the day, right? Like you would vote, right? You would, you would kind of like, Hey boys, what do you want to watch? Or, or do we all want to watch this? Blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, Hey man, I'm watching this. If you don't want to watch this, go get your own screen. And that's where it gets real tough at the grassroots level down here, because you're trying to distract distracted kids. If that makes sense. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That's a, that's a yeah. hot, that's a hot uh, quote there, Cody. Nicely done. Oh yeah. Yeah. No worries, boys. So what are some things, what, so what are some things, and Jeff, maybe you can think about it too, but like, what are some things that you try to do as a youth hockey coach, maybe even involve the parents, maybe it's team meals, you know, I don't know. What are some things that you try to do to distract the distracting kids? So honestly, it's more, I, it's like, uh, for me, in my opinion, it's more about emotions, right? Like you're trying to, um, play on emotions because those are the things that, uh, at least kids, they remember, right? Like they remember how they felt in a certain situation. They might not exactly remember the certain situation, um, or what was said or anything like that, but they remember how they felt. So we try, or at least me and my coaching staff, we try to, impress upon them, you know, feelings, right? Like team culture should be a feeling. It's not, a, it's not, I mean, it is a concept, right? But it's more than that. It's, it's a feeling. I feel for my teammate. That's why I want to work hard for that teammate. And that's what you mean like what, caring. Correct. Caring. Yes. A hundred percent. So if you care about your teammate, right? Like I don't care about, and, and a lot of coaches talk about like, you know, assists are the same as goals, stuff like that. Well, that's a hundred percent true, but how do you get that kid to truly believe that assists are equal to, or the same as goals? You get a lot of parents and a lot of people, and honestly, a lot of criticism, um, coming on you. Like if you don't score a goal, everybody remembers who scored the goal. Not a lot of people remember who set the goal up. Um, so we try to impress upon the kids that feeling like, dude, you just made that happen. You know what I'm saying? Like a kid, a kid breaks the puck out. Like that's not really necessarily a glorified play, but it might lead to a goal. And I give the guy that scored a goal a high five, but I give it after I give him that high five after I give the guy who made the breakout pass and the guy who received the breakout pass, maybe on his backhand and gave a backhand pass to the center who moved it over to the far side wing you know, who went in and backdoor, uh, sent a backdoor pass for a tap in like that's, that's, you, you need to feel like that is, you're doing your job. I don't know. I if that, that. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. And, and I mean, I, I'll, I'll share a story from when I was playing in college. So Brent Brecky, uh, who is now the head coach at St. Lawrence, he was an assistant coach for us at Cornell at the time. And I remember specifically a game we're playing against UNH and I had a really good game, um, I think I had a goal and assist, but like, you know, I was on the score sheet or whatever. Not a big deal. And, Did you uh, never not have a goal and assist? You do, Cody, you do know this is the Hockey Think Tank podcast, not the Spit and Chickless podcast, right? With this whole not a big deal stuff. <laughs> I do. What? I haven't sworn yet, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I specifically remember, you know, like you, you get the goal and the assist, you're feeling really good, whatever. And then I remember um, there was an offensive zone draw and I'm on the ball, I'm on the boards and their center wins it back to the corner. And I beat their defenseman to the puck 
to get possession for our team. And we had an offensive zone shift. Nothing ever um, came of it or whatever. But I remember coming back to the bench and Brent Brecky, who was the defensive coach, comes down to the offensive side and says, Tolf, what an unbelievable play that you just beat that guy to the puck and you got us an offensive zone shift. You know, and I'll never forget that because it's just like what you're talking about. Like there's so much more to hockey than what's on the score sheet. And that's true in college. That's true at the highest levels in the NHL. And that's true in might and squirt hockey as well. Um, so I feel like, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but the goals and the assists almost get glorified more at the youth levels when a lot of times it's just the bigger, stronger, more physically developed kids that are scoring the goals. So maybe some of these other kids who are doing some unbelievable things kind of get left behind. So, um, you know, that's just a little bit of a tangent, but just, I think it goes to show you that just that stuff is so important at, at all levels of hockey. It's a hundred percent exactly what you're saying, right? Like we, we as hockey players, right? So the reason we give our, you guys have a podcast, you give your opinions, we give our opinions is because uh, you've been there, right? Like, but what we, I think you can ask most of the um, hockey community, like the successful, if you want to call it hockey community, is what do you remember? You remember those emotions. You remember that coach coming down to you on the bench, the defensive coach coming to you as an offensive player and saying, hey man, that was a great play. And that's what you remember, right? You don't remember any of the goals you scored. You might have had what you say, a goal and assist that game? I don't I'm, I don't remember being facetious. I have no idea, but I just remember that <laughs> nothing play. <laughs> but, that's, but that's what you remember, right? Like, and nowadays, it's pretty funny because I've heard of so much incentivized. Um, it's an incentivization. Is that a word or no? Sure. Go, on, go with that's it. A Jeff, that's a Jeff word. That's a Jeff word. Yeah. Um, it's an incentivized culture, right? Like, um, you know, you, you get to play Fortnite if you score a goal. You get a dollar if you score a goal. You get this, that, or the other thing if you score a goal. And that's what some of these parents uh, are saying in, in some of these places. I see it a lot in Missouri because the parents mean well. They really, really do. I, I truly believe that. But they're not, they're not like, you know, necessarily what we would call hockey people, right? Like they're, they aren't gender. They might be first-gen hockey people. So they don't understand, like, you, you don't need to incentivize goals. You want to incentivize the more intangible things like team play, um, work ethic, uh, things like that, right? And, and that's where it gets, um, gets a little interesting in the youth hockey world. Like, you, you're, you're, yeah, you're trying to combat. Go on, Let's sorry. talk about that. Let's talk about that because, like, what you just said is massive. Like, if you're going to incentivize your child, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But – Let's in, especially at the squirt level, like how old are squirts guys? I, I don't even know. What is a squirt? Nine, uh, 10, 11, 10, Nine, 10, 11. So, so no one at 10, 11 knows where they're going to end up in hockey, NHL, D one. Like you cannot tell at nine, 10, 11. By the way, neither do their parents. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No one knows. Like it's, it's way too far off. Too many things can happen. So if you're going to incentivize them, like Cody just said, like incentivize them for things like, you know, working hard at changing, changing hard to the bench every time. Cause that's a team play being a team player, back checking, doing all the, doing all these things that are going to translate to being a good person and translate to being uh, a good citizen out in the world. Like those are things that are going to make your kid a better person and, making them a better person is the reason that all kids should be 
been rolled in sports, I believe. Then everything else comes along with it, you know, as you go up in the levels, but especially at that young age, like let's focus on the making good people and having good habits and, and building good character human beings. You almost need to re like restructure your term of achievements, right? Like, or, or um, reimagine your term of the word achievement. Like what's an achievement to you as a parent, your, your kid scoring a goal or your kid being a good teammate. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, those are things totally. you can, you can almost, you can almost gauge as well. And one of the things that um, this year we're going to try and do, um, and I have a great, great coaching staff, Stephen Bope, uh, Barrett Jackman and, and Pete Sheppis. We, we have a great working relationship in terms of coaches. And that's what we put the emphasis on, right? Is like you, an achievement might not be winning the game. The achievement might be uh, battling through that adversity, uh, whatever that may be. And then, coming out like happy on the other end you're not dejected or defeated um you're motivated more or less uh if that makes sense absolutely yeah. man i mean i I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh your most important job as a coach is to make sure that the kid wants to come back you know for practice or for a game or whatever and and that gets completely oh, yeah. lost uh, but but a lot of times that's tough, and and I know you were pretty excited to tee off on some parents here today. So I know that sometimes parents make that a, a difficult uh, a difficult job for a coach because they um, think that. And, and again, I don't think this is a majority of the parents. We've stated on the podcast before that we think that the majority of the parents are very well meaning. Um, you just want what's best for their kid and, and are great people. But there are some of the, the crazies out there that, uh, that make that job a little bit more difficult. So if you, if you oh, have yeah. a story or two, I don't know. It sounded like kind of in the pre-show, if that's what you want to call it, you had a story or two that maybe you wanted to talk about. Uh, give, us, give us some, uh, some Cody Barra crazy parent stories here. So I'll put it this way, right? Like I heard the term um, helicopter parent for my age, correct? And that's a parent who wants to oversee all of their kids, like everything, right? Um, But then I heard a new term called a bulldozer parent, right? And that's a parent that literally just takes care of every single thing for their kids. And that is, um, in my experience, what I've been dealing with with this current age level, right? It's a very, very, like you said, grassroots level, like, nine, 10, 11 years old. I mean, these kids are, I, I also run the, uh, the eight U program for, uh, the rockets, uh, or a big part of it. And that's a lot more low key than once you start getting, you know, picked on teams, the ADM is huge and it's awesome in the sense that they just develop. Right. But once you get through, um, that eight U threshold to the squirt level, you're getting picked, you're getting cut things like that. That's when parents get real interesting (laughs) to be honest, because when their kid gets cut, like they don't want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like a, um, I don't know when I would get cut or when I would hope, uh, and I think when you guys would get cut from a team, right. What our parents would say is, well, I mean, you got to work harder, right. Uh, they wouldn't immediately go and talk to the coach about, well, my kid shouldn't have been cut because of this kid and he beat this kid in this drill this many times in tryouts. So why did you take that kid instead of my kid? Um, the, the hockey math, as I like to call it, is, is just unnecessary at, um, at some points. And, and that bulldozer parent mentality, right, is huge. Like, so even 
your, your, your kid gets picked. We're playing a game. Um, I've asked your kid to potentially, like I've maybe have asked a kid to do a certain thing, a certain way. Right. And I think a, a big obligation of us as youth coaches, especially at that age level is to teach between, um, I don't know if you want to call it like compliance, but like working within a team, working within a team or, or a society or anything like that. Like you're asked to do your job, um, as everybody else is. And if you refuse to do your job, then you're there, there is consequences and that's just how life goes. So for that's a good thing. It is, it is. I, again, like I said, it's a tough thing to do at that age because they are so young, but that is what sets them up. I, I would say, I like to think to be more successful throughout life. There is consequences in life. There is, there is right and wrong. There is people asking you to do things and you have to do them. You can't just do whatever you want all the time. Dude. Right? I, so, so I remember, like, sorry to cut you off. I re, this is relevant. No, it's and okay. a hilarious story though. So Steve Richmond, who we've talked about on the podcast, he's legitimately the director of player development for, uh, for the Washington Capitals right now. He's my squirt double-A coach. Not a big deal. And, and I, <laughs> I remember in squirt double-A, like his big thing, he, he, you know, he was all about the same things that you're talking about, team and all that stuff. And our line, because you played like, what, six forwards at that, like in squirt double-A back when we were playing, so you had like six forwards and 4D oh, yeah. or whatever. So our line would take like two longest shifts, and he was like, that's really selfish if you take a long shift again, there's going to be consequences. So of course we take another long shift and we come back to the bench to get off. And he's like, no, you guys think you know better. Go ahead, stay out on the ice. So we literally stayed on the ice for like five, six more minutes and he wouldn't let us come off. And it was like the most painful, like awful thing ever. And, uh, but it was like, it just goes back to it, right? Like you can teach those lessons at, uh, at that young of an age. And, uh, and I think you're, I think you're obligated to honestly tof, right? Like, but, and the thing is like, so being a non-parent kind of helps, but at the same time, it's scary, right? Like it's my job more or less. And I, and I think I'm doing it right when I do things like that. But if parents today see things like that happen, the first thing they do is go to the coach, right? Back in the day, I, I say that I'm not that old or anything like that, but back when we were growing up, you guys were growing up and playing hockey, right? Like if you had an issue, at least in my experience, if I had an issue with the coach, I would bring it to my parents and they would say, well, what did the coach say? Right? Like the first thing these kids do is go to their parents. And the first thing the parents do are go to the coach, which is completely backwards. You should be as a kid. And I know it's, uh, it's hard, but it's life lessons. It's exactly what should be happening. If you have an issue, yeah, obviously you probably at nine years old, go to your parents first, but what should the parents be saying? Well, go ask your coach why you aren't playing. And then when the coach tells you why you aren't playing then, or, or whatever it may be, this is just using it right as, as an example. If the coach tells you why you aren't playing, then you fix that. And then you're playing more, but yeah, to it's have, a teaching moment. It's a teaching moment a, that, that needs to happen from the coach and from the parent, because what you look at is the coach is teaching the kid. All right. You went outside of the team. Uh, there's a repercussion for that, whatever that may be. That is just like in school later on. If you break the rules, you get suspended. And just like in a job later on, if you don't, if you show up for work late, you're going to lose money, right? Like you have to, or maybe your boss wants you to do something you don't like. Well, tough. 
he's your boss. You got to do what he says. And that's something that is a teachable moment. So for the parents listening, instead, whether you agree with the coach or not, he's the coach. Your kid's going to have a boss sooner or later. And there's going to be things that they don't want to do that are part of their job requirement. And for them to be paid to sustain their life on this planet, they're going to have to do things that they probably don't want to do or are going to be hard. And if you can teach them as a child that, hey, your coach, whether you agree with him or not, he's your coach. He's your boss. You got to do what he says because he's the captain of that ship. And that's how he's running the team. So that's what you're going to have to do. And honestly, one of the biggest things that I reflect on now with my own specific parents, right, is they were always that way, right? Like they never made it clear. Like if I went to them, they would tell me, go talk to the coach or things like that. Like, um, but now I grow up a little bit uh, and we talk, obviously, as parents and children do, especially as you grow up. And there were definitely coaches that they did not agree with. But they never, I only know that now at 20, you know, 26 years old. When I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I never knew that they didn't respect or didn't, didn't um, not respect, but like didn't agree with the coaches at that time opinion. They never let me know that they didn't agree with the coaches opinion. And I had to go and figure it out for myself. I either had to work harder or talk to the coach, you know, like candidly or anything like that. But that is the biggest thing that I think is the difference between uh, at least my experience uh, for our age and then the new age um, of hockey player, where if, like I said, if you, if I didn't like the coach my and my parents didn't like the coach, I never knew that they were telling me, respect your coach um, or your boss or your basically authority. Correct. But nowadays, you know, there are people who, kids who may or may not get playing time or they get fat, they go to their parents and then, you know, we're getting an email the next day, which is just, uh, absurd to me just because maybe that's not how I was raised, but absurd nonetheless. Well, yeah, your dad cut you twice. So, <laughs> um, but that's let me, we know my dad, he just, you know, <laughs> here, but I think there's an important point to be made here too, that doesn't contradict what you guys are saying, but maybe gives it a little bit different in perspective because at the end of the day, there are youth coaches out there that aren't very good or don't have the right intentions. Right. So sometimes 100%. as a parent, you can be caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, like for instance, like if your kid is coming back into the car, it's like, I don't want to go to hockey anymore. What, like, what do you do as a parent? You know, at, at that point, do you step in and when is it appropriate to step in? And we've, we've talked about this with our dads and actually Jeff and I, we've tried to do a podcast with our dads twice already, but the audio got messed up both times. And this actually came up like this, this point actually came up and I thought my dad's point to it was, was incredible. And basically the way that he looked at it was, um, every year is a one year contract as a parent for your kid and that coach. Right. So if you don't like what the coach is doing, hey, we committed to this team for a year. And then if that coach is off his rocker, if you're not enjoying hockey, whatever it may be, we know we're going somewhere else next year. Right. So I think I don't I'm not necessarily sticking up for the parents here because what you guys are saying is is completely and 100 percent true. And my parents um, raised me the exact same way. 
but I, I do think that there are times where it is appropriate, like, hey, and, and doing it in the right way, right? Like the 24-hour rule, if your kid's not enjoying the game, if, they don't, if they're losing their passion for the game, where the, co- where the parent can reach out to the coach and say, hey, look, I just want to let you know what's going on with my kid right now. And, uh, and then if it doesn't continue to get better, then it's like, all right, we got to find another coach for our kid to play for that next year. So I think that's just another added thing to it because the, the coaches need to be held accountable just as much as the parents need to be held accountable too, I think. Yeah, that's, no, a great, 100%. that's a great point. Go on, Jeff. Sorry. I was just going to say, that's a, that's a, you should be sorry. It's our show. <laughs> um, yeah, that is a, uh, that's a great point. If there's like something like wrong with the coach or he's, you know, demeaning the kids, like obviously then parents, yes, you should be stepping in. I mean, let's use common sense here. Uh, but I think what Tope just said too, like, how you say things also like applies. Like if your kid's not having fun or whatever, like, you know, maybe you can email the coach and be like, Hey, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, you know, after the next practice, it's not about, it's not about playing time. It's not about this. Like, I just want to talk to you about Johnny's not really liking hockey anymore. Like I want to kind of talk to you about how we can maybe help this, you know, like that's uh, words matter. And coaches are always being bombarded by emails. I'm sure Cody's getting them every day and texts every day and things like that. So like how you approach the coach is going to matter as well. Correct. And I think it's honestly, like I, I really, as much as it is a hassle, if you, if you will, uh, you know, like dealing with the emails and the texts and things like that. Right. Like um, I think it's more about the, uh, communication with the kid, right? Like, are you telling your kid, you know, if your kid comes, it's, it's, I, I just think it's maybe doing the kid a disservice, um, by going to the coach, going overhead, right? Like you're the kid. And by the way, what I've learned in my experience, especially at this age is there is 100% two sides to every story, right? There's the kid's version of the story and then there's the coach's version of the story. And one is a little bit, you know, uh, probably a little bit more accurate than the other. Not that the kid might not have a valid point, but his point might be based on his emotions, which maybe may or not have gotten hurt. Right. Like, so if a kid, if I, you know, if a coach tells a kid, uh, you did that wrong and then he does it again, you, okay, you're, you're going to sit a shift. Well, then the, all the parent sees is the kid sat a shift. And of course, we all know those parents have, you know, the stopwatches out uh, up in the stands and things like that, right? My kid definitely sat a shift. Why'd he sit this shift? Well, did you ask your kid, right? And even if you did ask the kid, yeah, I asked my kid. He said, he said he didn't know why he got sat right there. Well, we talked about it. Uh, I told him, this is what you did or did not do that we don't support, right? And then he continued to do it. So then he had a consequence and parents don't like to hear, um, or see their kids not play. And then when they see them not play, they don't ask the kid, Hey, why they go right to the coach and say, Hey, why? Which I think is a little different and kind of backwards, uh, in my opinion, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, immediately as a parent, my parents, and I'm not saying they were right or wrong. I mean, I, I, I personally, in my opinion, think they're right. And since it's our podcast, I'll give my opinion. Um, they would always be like, well, what did you do? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? What could you do better before they would say, 
well, the coach just didn't play you. No, it was always like, turn it on me because I'm the, the, I design, I, I decide my own destiny. I decide my own fate. Like it was always up to me. And they always said that grandma, who's going to listen to this, obviously, what's up, Grams? Love you. Um, always said, and I love put you notes, too. I love you more. I love you too. Um, I love you. Always, <laughs> I love you, Kennedy, grandma. <laughs> All right, enough. I love her the most. Um, always put notes on Samantha and I's mirrors when she would leave. She would that saying, and I'm sure she did it with you guys. If it is to be, it's up to me. And it's like, oh, that's cute. That rhymes, whatever. But it's like, no, like that's how I've lived my life. And I know, Tolf, that's how you've lived yours. And Cody, you've lived yours sometimes that way. Um, so, you know, like <laughs> if you if you want something, like, give it a hundred friggin' percent. And if it's to be, you know, it's going to be on you. And I think that, you know, in today's society, like, like we've been saying, people are a little bit too quick to jump to lash out instead of internalize. And like, let's look in the mirror, like, uh, Cam Jansen said on the podcast in like episode six or seven or five, we had him on early and he was like, no, no, no. I was always told it's, it's on me. Like look in the mirror, look at yourself and be like, what's going on. I can change this no matter what I can change my circumstance if I want it bad enough, you know? So, you know, parents like really take that to heart. Don't immediately go outside. Let's look internally what's happening first. And like, it's gotta be so hard and I'm sure Tove can, you know, Tove can speak to it. Like it's gotta be so hard, but at the same time, it's exact. I, I, well, I, and I don't know cause I don't have kids, but I'm saying I, I'm pretty sure that's like, that's how I was raised. That's how most of the people I know were raised. Like you may have to give your kids some tough news or, or, you know, maybe tell them, Hey, that's the other thing. Right. I find sometimes like you need to work harder, right? Like you're not, you're not the best player on the team. I don't think any parent nowadays is willing or wants to. And I don't think any parent ever, right. Wants to tell your kid or break that news to your kid, but that's, that's how life goes. You, you just might not be the best player on the team. What does that mean for you? Well, that means you need to find a different way to contribute. And that doesn't mean you're any better or any worse than anybody else on the team. It just means you're doing your job in terms of getting better. Uh, LTAD is what uh, my, my good, good friend, college uh, teammate, road roommate, and now coach, uh, assistant coach, Stephen Bope, uh, who has a company, Bodies by Bope, not a big deal, Instagram. Um, How much did he pay time. you to LT- freaking say that on our podcast right now? That was a little out of no, left field. I'm, send- I'm sending him an invoice, but uh, <laughs> LTAD, right? Long-term, long-term, athlete develop- long-term athletic development. It's not about right now. It's not about, I, I tell the boys, right? Like, I'm not, do you want to be the best squirt player? ever or do you want to like actually excel nobody wants to be the best mite or squirt player when they look back on their career um you know yo i ripped it up at you know i ripped it up in mites. i ripped it up in squirts well that's great but where did you go with that right like did you become a better person did you use that to uh to kind of get get better maybe get a college education did you learn from it things like that and I'm not, I'm not exactly sure if they can understand that at this age. Um, but the parents for sure, I would hope should, right? Like you're, you, you don't want your kid to be the best squirt player. And then nothing after that, you want your kid to be a better person 
after their squirt year, to be a better person after their peewee year, to be a better person after their bantam year, and so on and so forth, if, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And and uh, it was one of the things we were talking about even at the conference too is, you know, we're talking about the personal side of it, but let's throw in the hockey side of it now um, in terms of the best players at the might and squirts level where you're at. And we don't talk about probably enough on, on the podcast. So the best players at those levels are usually what? They're the most physically gifted kids, right? And they can take the puck 100%. from the defensive zone and because they're bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else, they just skate it all the way down to the other side of the ice and score. Like, is, am I off yep. on that? Not at all. <laughs> okay. Right. So, well, newsflash, like that's not hockey. Like that's not the game of hockey. And those kids that are, you know, less developed, um, will catch up to the size, strength, speed of those kids at some point, whether it's peewees, bands, midgets, whatever it may be. So let's talk about a little bit of hockey now, because, um, I think coaches at that level, a lot of times do a disservice to those kids who are quote unquote, the best players, because they just allow them to be bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else. And because they score or encourage it or encourage it. Right. And because they score and their team wins, they kind of think that like, Oh, like I'm doing what's right by the kid. But in reality, are they really? So I won't give the answer. I'll throw it out to the two of you guys and see kind of what you think about that and uh, how you go about teaching your kids the game at that level to prepare them for the higher levels when hockey actually is hockey. Go ahead, I'll take this real take quick. I have a, I, I have a quick, uh, quick example. Okay. I had a parent who, who said to me one, um, one time, you know, I don't want, I just don't want my kid to have a rough year this year. And it was the most shocking thing I've ever heard from a parent because what are you, what, what do you mean rough year? Right? Like uh, a year is, per, I, I feel like it's perspective, right? It's, it's what you make it. Yeah, you might not. What do you mean a rough year? Does a rough year mean you guys didn't win a lot of games or we didn't win a lot of games? Well, maybe, yeah. But if you're trying to shield your kid from having, you know, losing some hockey games, uh, especially at the age of 9 or 10 or 11 or whatever, like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like I feel like you're in the wrong sport. There's going to be adversity. Hockey is a game of ups and downs. It's about how level you can keep your emotions uh, and how disciplined I guess that you can uh, you can be and and stay that course and it's absurd to me that somebody would try and shield their kid from um, a losing season if you will I don't know if that if that really relates or not but well if you will maybe I will um, yeah I <laughs> I, I, th- I think that you know it's it, again like we've talked about on this podcast and it's something that almost all the presenters at the hockey think tank conference in Chicago talked about. Adversity is a great thing. Adversity is a great teacher. Failure has always been my best teacher. I mean, I've talked about the two times that I was cut, uh, growing up and how much those immediately slingshotted me forward after I got over, hey, Jeff, you know, hey, Jeff, I got and- cut twice by my dad. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Just so you know. Go on. Sorry. You know, like, I mean, those were the two best things that, that happened to me. They slingshotted me and my love for the game and my work ethic immediately forward after they happened. And as a coach or a parent, I think that the, the job has to be to facilitate 
how you come back from those negative times, whether it's a bad season or a bad game or a bad shift, because they're going to happen just like in life, bad things are going to happen. You know, what is, what do they say? And what does Rocky say? It's not how hard you hit. It's like how fast you come back or something like, Oh, totally cliche, but it's actually true. And why are guys in the NHL? Because they are very good at not letting one bad thing turn into two. Hockey's a game of mistakes. The higher you go, the less mistakes there are. And if you're going to make one mistake, well, you better learn from it in that game immediately or the next day, and you better not make that mistake again. You don't turn one mistake into two. You don't turn two into three. You don't turn one bad game into two. NHL players almost never have back-to-back bad games because they can't. You know, so that's something that needs to be regressed and taught at the earlier stages. What do you do when a bad thing happens? And as a parent and as a coach, it's our job to be like, it's okay you failed as long as you learn from it and let's get better. Okay. We've beat this one to a dead horse. I think we've okay. – you guys know me. You guys know how much I love talking about this stuff. But you guys did not answer my question because I wanted to talk hockey and we kept talking life there. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. And that is totally fine. <laughs> that is totally, totally fine because all the stuff that you guys said were incredible. But I think I feel like we've talked about this a lot because I, I, I think this is really important though when it comes to the hockey side of things and teaching hockey stuff. You know, because again, the game at Might Squirt Pee Wee is very different than it is at Banna Midget um, at the higher levels and. My my question was more along the lines of like hockey wise, right? So at the youngest levels, you give the puck to the best player, they go down and score, that team wins. That's great. But more often that player who just gets the puck and has to bully his way through and score doesn't end up developing any kind of hockey sense, any kind of hockey acumen, IQ, whatever you want to call it, because all they've been accustomed and told to do, encouraged, like you said, Cody, was to just take the puck in a straight line and because I'm bigger, faster, stronger, go win a game for my team. Um, how would and you? And those get- kids get shocked when they grow up a little bit, right? And as you said, everybody catches up. And then I can't take the puck from end to end, and that is doing them a disservice. So whereas a parent might see, you know, my kid scored, you know, 50 goals in a short season. Well, you know, he he was bigger, faster, stronger than every other kid. So, so what do you do, Joe? Do you make him, do you make him, uh, have like a rule? Like, all right, once you get in the zone, you got to start working on your Gretzky turns. You got to start doing pull ups with the late guy. I think so. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If, if a kid's that far ahead, you kind of, kind of take him aside and be like, Hey, this is why we're doing this. So he knows why, you know, I'm trying to help you and this is going to make you a better player. You have to make one so, pass before you get any shots so, or something like so that. So here, here is the, here is the biggest part the biggest thing about what you just said, 100%. Yes. That guy should be hit. You should curve like what he's doing. Correct. Because he shouldn't be allowed to just skate it up. Now, the biggest thing is parental reinforcement, because if that parent wants his kid to score 50 goals a season at nine years old, he will. But if he's going to support the coach in in our endeavors in terms of trying to make that kid a better overall player for the rest of his career, then that kid actually gets better. But where I, where I find some conflict happens is, you know, you get that, what, what parent doesn't want their kid to score 50 goals? I mean, yeah, at, but at from, any, 
from there, what that means is there's got to be communication. You know, Toph's always talking about that. Like, I, you as the coach, you got to bring them in, separate them from the team, and be like, hey, you know, Johnny, I want to talk to you and your dad after practice on Wednesday. And then there's got to be that conversation like, hey, I want to make a rule for Johnny, and this is why. You know, I'm, uh, you're not having to use hockey since you're, you're losing formative years on learning to read the game and stuff like that because you're just – further through puberty you're just too fast right now so that's got to be a big part of that what do you what do you think Tilf? yeah yeah 100 percent. i i think um that communication is key and i think that i mean i mean even look at it right like what's the most important thing for like a scout or a college coach recruiter whatever when they're looking at a player right it's like hockey sets it's hockey sense, right team play i mean that's kind of all bundled into one and that's something that can be learned or unlearned at very young levels. That's why USA Hockey is pushing so much of the smaller area games and the creativity because that's what teaches hockey sense. Like skating the puck as a mite from goal line to goal line and scoring is not teaching any kind of hockey sense at all. Um, and, and I totally agree with that. And so um, you just this whole conversation, I think at the younger levels, you know, making sure that you're um, – teaching the game the way that the game is supposed to be played instead of teaching the game so we can win a hockey game um, is good for not just your team, but just the, even the better players that you have on your team as well. It's very true. And, and you guys said the word, right, Jeff, I think said it for the formative years. They, these are the most formative of years. And, and I think that it really comes down to, um, that relationship, as you guys said, that communication um, of, and as I mentioned, parental reinforcement, right? Like the coach and the parents need to understand or, or at least try to be on the same, the same level, because it's not about, it really is not about winning championships at the squirt level. I mean, it, it shouldn't be at least, but we know, you know, a few people that love their squirt championships, but like there, I want two of them. Our Just job. Say. <laughs> you were nasty. <laughs> but what I'm I'm saying is, yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's not in the grand scheme of things. The grand scheme of life is not about your score championships. It's about the growth um, that you've kind of come about, or or that has been brought out in you through that coach, and then your parents, hopefully reinforcing what that coach is um, talking to you, assuming he knows what he's talking about. Correct. And then to prepare you for the next year, right? Like sports should be prepared for peewees. Peewees should be prepared for Bantams. Bantams should be prepared for midgets. Midget, and all throughout that, you should be being prepared for life, considering you're not going to continue um, on through the process. I think everybody should play hockey from the time they're a mite or a dynamite up. I don't even know if that's a term anymore, but a dynamite all the way up and through midgets in college. Um, but if you aren't prepared to deal with like life after you're done with hockey, well, like, why did you, why did you play hockey? You know, I don't, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense or not, but why'd you play college hockey? To, for the is isn't it obvious for the girls. For the girls. <laughs> What's that from? Come on, you don't know what that's from. Oh, Jeff, that, you oh, are the worst. You are the worst. 
from Miracle. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. It is 100%. No, I think it, it is interesting, right? Like, and talk to a lot of people about that. You know, obviously the the ADM and the mites and the cross ice versus the full ice. It's it's a topic that we've talked about a little bit on this podcast that kind of, I don't know, I don't, I don't love talking about it because people get so, it's like, politics in america like people get so oh, one-sided and it's like triggered by it at our, it's like politics and family get-togethers yeah exactly right and um which, which family get-togethers yeah the room gets divided people start slobbering <laughs> fists start being thrown it's like oh my god yeah guys shut up <laughs> um <laughs> But no, Correct, I, sorry, I, no, I just it's uh, it's interesting as I thought it was just a good segue to to some of the stuff that we were talking about because you know it, you're you're exactly correct like our jobs as coaches is is about preparation it's preparing kids to become better hockey players it's about preparing them to become better human beings and there's two sides of it as a hockey coach there's the hockey side and then there's the life side. And uh, we talk a lot on this podcast about the life side, and I thought it would be good to talk a little bit about the hockey side because, again, at the end of the day, I see it in the might squirts, and I've talked about it with a lot of different uh, people in the business about how just the game is so much different when you get older um, than it is when you're younger based upon puberty, based upon just um, the way that the game even looks. Like, watch a game from up top in a might squirt peewee game and then watch a game from up top um, at uh, at the highest level. They're, they're just completely different. They're not the same at all. So what can we at do all. to teach and the the kids the right way to play the game um, so they are ready, like you said, at the at the next levels? And that's the that's honestly again like a real tough part, right? I had I've had a couple parents like try to send me film, correct? Like <laughs> wait, I'm on what the- <laughs> time out? Oh, you coach squares? Wait, 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 no. right? Okay, this is right, the story right, yeah. I want to get to, Cody. Yes, yes, yes. But listen, what am I going to say? No, no. Yes, I would like to see it. But I made it through maybe 15 seconds of it. And I'm not going to lie, from the bench, it looks to me, because I'm invested and involved, like normal hockey. But then uh, I'm looking at <laughs> a film of – nine and 10 year olds. And I couldn't make it through 15 seconds. Like there's no chance. I was like, yeah, sorry. Couldn't, you know, didn't really make it through that. What, like there's, there's nothing. And then why do you film, right? Like why, why is there film so that people can look back and reflect on why I did this here or there or anything like that. These kids don't have the attention span at nine, 10, 11 years old to play Fortnite for more than, you know, an hour or anything like that. Right. Like they're not going to watch their own game. Let me, let me ask you that. Like how young is too, or how old would you start wanting to watch video for, for teams? Bantam. Um, I don't know. Like team video, you know, like we're accustomed to, um, or even like, one-on-one video. I will, I will pose your, I will take your question and pose you another one, right? Like what's, what's the point of the video? Like if you're going to sit a peewee team down and talk about systems for 20 minutes, like I think, you know, take that video system, break it over your leg and throw it in the lake because it doesn't mean anything. Um, but I think <laughs> if you're, if you, I don't know if you're making a pump up thing or if you're watching video, like even at the squirt level, like, Hey, look at this great breakout pass tape to tape that little, we, we bang on little Johnny all the 
the time. We like he's a bad kid, but let's pump his tires a little bit, right? Like look at look at this great little breakout pass that little Johnny made to that allowed us to have the goal. Like look at how awesome this celebration was that little Sally okay. had. Um, how, how cool is that to like kind of pump the kids up, right? Like if you're using it for the right way, like I, I don't That's think cool. there is any age level that I wouldn't do it. Um, but if it, well, there is, I will tell you right now. I have asked and engaged multiple groups of this age group uh, of kids. They, the, the majority do not even watch NHL hockey. That's what I'm saying. Like I asked, I'll ask, Hey, do you guys watch hockey? Like what was the biggest, you loved watching hockey, correct? Toe? I did. Yeah. You did. Correct. And that is why, and, and Jeff didn't, you know, I think, correct. Oh, totally correct. The, never watched it. <laughs> Still doesn't. Right. So still does not. Oh, I know that for a fact. But like how, like I tell the kids all the time, I'll make references, right? Like, um, you know, did you guys see Vladdy Terry Sanko's goal last night? And half of them will say, yeah, but that's all the kids watch nowadays. They're, they have their own device. They can watch highlights. You don't need to be watching highlights as fun as it is, right? Like we all watched what Don Cherry one through 14 or whatever. Oh, the Rock'em Sock'ems right? were the best. Every time uh, I go up to Canada for a tournament, that would be the first thing we would do is go to the hockey store and get Rock'em Sock'em. Yeah. So dude, hundred percent. We all did it. We all did it. Right. But like now they're watching, but they don't watch like hockey. They don't yeah. watch little I things think, from last night. They don't watch little things from be. last night. They should they be, should. by the way, I'll plug, I'll plug toast. Twitter, like parents, if you're looking for teaching points, like just straight up teaching points on hockey, Toast Twitter, the little things from last night that he does during the NHL season. Like I literally have pro guys who will text me and be like, I love Toast's video from last night. Like I'm going to use that in tonight's game, like professional hockey players. So Toast, embarrassed. I'm not even going to let you say anything. Um, but I think maybe a good idea for coaches who are looking for video stuff or they want to implement video, maybe a good idea would be like, okay, if your hometown team is playing a game that night and it's on TV, you could be like, you know, Hey guys, like if you're going to watch a game, don't force them, especially if they're playing like house league hockey or a or B like whatever. But if you want to oppose like, you know, something fun to do with their parents, Hey, you know, I want you guys to sit down with your parents tonight and tell me three things that you learned from the game in each period or whoever your favorite player is, give me three things he did well. And three things you maybe think he didn't do well. Like maybe that's a good idea instead of sitting them down and being like, let's watch video at friggin' 11 years old. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, hundred percent. You should encourage, you should encourage your kid who wants to be, or tells you he wants to be like a successful player in that, within that sport. Like they are the best of the best. Like just watch, you know, like watch a little bit here and there. And then, as you said, maybe make some points for them to, or achievements or things that they can notice or things like that. Like it's absurd to hear as a coach at that level, you go, yeah, you guys see the game last night or anything like that. You're in the city that the game was. And you know, more than half of them go, what? But I don't think that's absurd. I don't think that's absurd. Honestly, it's not absurd. It's not, I don't think it's, it's not, I don't think it's absurd, man. I I signed two NHL deals. I watched no hockey growing up. I say now all the time, hey, I would be a way better hockey player, and I'd be a way smarter hockey player, and I have way better hockey. If you watch hockey, if I watch hockey, but 
Dude, okay. still signed Boom, two roasted. NHL deals. Boom, no, roasted. Still, Jeff Levecchio. Still signed two NHL deals <laughs> and played 10 years professionally. So what I'm saying is something that, and I said this to my team today, I, I, I attended my first practice for my team this year, this uh, season today, and I was talking to the team about warming up. And I said, look, I played with guys who did nothing. I played with guys who want to run a mile before. I played with guys who only stick handle. I played with guys who static stretch. I played with guys who only dynamic stretch. Like you got to find what works for you. And especially in dealing with children, I don't think you for the most part should be dealing in black and white as a coach. That's my own opinion. You know, you find ways for everyone to be doing the same thing and team oriented. But I, I also think like, this isn't, this isn't life. It's not life yet. They're not professionals. They're not being paid. They're children. So like, let's not, force things down on them if kids got a vacation in the middle of the school year and they're going to miss some games you know like that's something that can happen you know i don't think that that's got to be the kid's blackballed because he went on a vacation with his family i don't know so i I just don't think that with children you you should be dealing in black and white personally oh absolutely it's it's all about developing passion for the game you know right like that's That at the end of the day, that's what it is all about. And teaching the skills through the passion is is so important and making it fun. And, and uh, there's certain ways that you can use some of the video stuff to, you know, pump them up and make it fun. And you're also – it's like what uh, Roger Grillo always said, right? Like the Flintstone vitamins, right? Like make it – give them a, a teaching example in something that's fun. And I think you actually can do that by doing some video with, with kids, Um but at the end of the day, it's all got to be about the passion. So, um, all right, boys, this has been a lot of good hockey talk. Reminds me of a lot of little French toast, uh, grandma breakfast, uh, right at her, uh, little breakfast table or also, you know, after a few, uh, bourbons or whiskeys or beers at, uh, at my parents' place where it gets a little bit more heated, but, all in all, it's always about hockey talk and the fact that we're able to do this on the podcast and, and have uh, Cody, somebody as passionate as you, to be able to get on with a little bit of an unbiased view from the youth hockey side. Uh, I think it's been pretty good. So thanks a lot for coming on, man. Hey, boys. I honestly appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me. Love the family. Love the podcast. Big fan of mm, Hockey Think Tank. And <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll talk to you guys when I see that. All right, buddy. Good stuff. Have a good night, fellas. Love you, boys.